The first thing that I want to say is if you have your Bibles, I want you to get your Bibles out. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 11. So if you're using a paper Bible or if you're using an electronic Bible, if it's a paper one, open it. If it's an electronic one, turn it on. Go to the YouVersion Bible app. Um, if, you're, if you're using a smartphone and you're not using the YouVersion Bible app, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Jump on the App Store and type in Bible, and it's the app that's been downloaded the most. It's seven point something million downloads or something like that. Question, Landon. It's not showing up on your events? All right, maybe Kaylee can help you out. Um, so if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can go to the bottom right-hand corner and tap More, and then tap on Events, and then you will see Bethel Youth. That event will populate, and you can tap on that event. And make sure to save it, because if you don't save the event, uh, you, can, you can't access the notes after it's gone live. So at about 8.15 or 8.30, the notes like disappear if you don't save them. Um, each week, uh, we offer some resources at the end of that, um, some opportunities for you to dive deeper into the text that we are teaching through or the topic that we're teaching through. Uh, today, there's about five or six different resources for you to look at, um, and so we'd highly encourage you to do that. It's also really great to take notes, whether that's on your phone or in a journal. It's really good to write those things down. Um, one, if questions pop up in your head, it's a great place to write those questions down and ask your small group leader, maybe during small groups at the end of the gathering, um, or maybe for you, you have those questions and you begin to research and look up answers to those questions um, on your own time. And it also helps you to retain information and retain things when you are actively participating in what's going on. When you're hearing something, you're seeing something, and you're writing something down, uh, it greatly increases the odds of you retaining what you are hearing. And so, uh, that's our spiel on the YouVersion Bible app and taking notes. Um, I want to give a shout out to Kaylee, not LeBron James, Kaylee for, if you were here last week, Kaylee uh, preached the sermon last Wednesday and I had the privilege of listening to it yesterday and it was incredible. And so if you missed that sermon, go to our Spotify or Google or Apple podcast and type in Bethel YTH and you will find um, our podcasts, our audio sermons from the last few months and you can go listen to that. Um, it was awesome and very insightful and she taught about about First um, Corinthians 12 and unity in the body of Christ. Um, also, I want to shout out our youth leaders and our team uh, for um, just making Wednesdays happen last week and each and every week. There's an amazing team of youth leaders that love you guys so much and want you to know who Jesus is on a deeper level and have a deeper understanding of the plan that he has for your life. And tonight we're going to jump into a new teaching series. It's going to be seven weeks long, and it's titled Planted. Uh, we will walk through seven different spiritual disciplines necessary for a Christian's deep spiritual growth. Uh, one spiritual discipline that we covered at length over the course of the last few months um, was prayer. And once again, if you missed any of those sermons, go to the podcast and you can listen to those. So the seven spiritual disciplines or practices or rhythms, whatever you want to call them, 
The seven that we are going to be teaching through are Sabbath and rest. That's what we're going to talk through today. Uh, Bible study, worship, service, disciple making, silence and solitude, community and confession. So if you were to Google Christian spiritual disciplines, you will find a list. Um, if you want to go back to that list, Wyatt, you'll find a list that is um, slightly different than this. And the reason for that is um, there are a lot of spiritual disciplines that you will find um, in Scripture. You'll find these different spiritual disciplines that Jesus um, did as a person. Um, if you look at those lists, if you compare them with one another, you've we look at the life of Jesus, and I thought about our youth group and just kind of where we are as a group and just thinking about what God maybe wanted to show us through this teaching series, this is the list um, that we came up with. And I think that this list will be beneficial and helpful to us as a youth group as we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is and becoming more like him each and every day. And so I want to give you a, a fairly simple definition of what a spiritual discipline is. I want to give you a quote from Dallas Willard. It says this, the disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us, deriving from the spiritual realm itself. And so the, this isn't like Star Wars talk. Like the divine order and the spiritual realm that Dallas Willard is referencing is God. He's talking about this life that you have with God and living this very intentional and disciplined life. And so what he's saying is that these disciplines are how we discipline ourselves to hear, one, the voice of God and become more like Christ. And the foundational uh, passage or text for this series is found in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and it reads like this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But those, who do, those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, that person is, a, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So this is the, the basis and the foundation for taking the next two months to talk about spiritual disciplines. And the writer of this psalm believes that when a person delights in the Lord and meditates on um, the word of God, they will be like a tree planted by streams of water. And this tree produces fruit and they will prosper. In the Northwest, it's really easy for us to picture a tree planted next to water, isn't it? We have it uh, all the time. Whoever just tried to airdrop something with me? Who was that? Was it Audrey? No. You little stinker. I'm turning airplane mode on right now. It says iPhone wants to airdrop something with you. I'm like, decline. Little stinkers. My, whatever. It's not very hard in the Northwest. We'll get back on track. That was funny, though. Um, don't do it again. <laughs> um, to, to, to think and have this mental picture of a tree planted by a river. 
So before we get into the spiritual discipline of Sabbath and rest, I want us to unpack Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, just a little bit, get the context of it so that we have a deeper understanding of where we are starting from. So the writer of this particular psalm is King David. David was one of the kings of Israel, and um, it was uh, David's bloodline that Jesus would come. Um, David is writing about what it means to be a righteous person, what it means to be a person person who is in right standing with God. And David describes a person who is blessed because they do not, excuse me, walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, and sit in the company of mockers. And then he contrasts that with, he says, the blessed one is like a tree, like we've read, that plants itself next to a stream, and that stream essentially provides nutrients and water, and those nutrients and those water is what produces growth. So the Hebrew word translated to blessed can be a tricky word. Uh, many times in our minds, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word blessed, but oftentimes we think of a blessed person as a person with influence, monetary wealth, just meaning like a lot of money, a lot of possessions, maybe a really nice car or two or a really nice house or two. Um, maybe we see a person, we think of a blessed person as someone who is married and they have kids. Maybe they have lots of kids. We think of a blessed person as someone with a really good job. And here's the thing, being blessed could result in these things happening. But sometimes, if not most of the time, these aren't the most common ways blessing is referenced in Scripture. And in Psalm chapter 1, and actually most of Scripture, blessing comes from the root word esher, which uh, has the idea of happiness or contentment. Esher is a form of the Hebrew word ashar, which means to be straight or to be right. So in the context of a person being blessed, you could think of it this way. Blessed is the man who is happy and, and fulfilled and content being planted and rooted with God. So this is what David is referencing in Psalms chapter 1. It says, blessed, content, fulfilled, and happy is the one who was planted by streams of water. Because these streams of water are what produces stability and strength. It gives it it gives a tree what it needs to grow deep roots. And David says that when believers plant themselves next to streams, which is this is a metaphor for planting yourself next to God, they will have all they need and they will be strong and stable. And he says that this blessed one, this one who is content and who is fulfilled, they will yield fruit or they will bear fruit in season. And scripture talks about fruit often. One of the most uh, well-known sections is Galatians chapter 5. And it says that our life will produce two kinds of fruit. The fruit of our flesh and the fruit of the spirit. So the fruit of our flesh is described in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, not the talking platform, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. It says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is fruit of our flesh. What is the fruit of the Spirit? 
The fruit of a righteous person is described in the following verses, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. So an important reminder is that this fruit is not instantaneous. When you plant a tree in your backyard, it does not grow and bear fruit instantly, does it? Unless you like transplant it, maybe it will at that point. Yeah, it's a lot of times it takes five years, it takes months, it takes however long it takes, but it's the same thing is true in our life as well. Fruit takes time to show itself in our lives, whether it's the fruit of the spirit or it's the fruit of the flesh. Gretchen Saffold said this, she said, fruit comes through waiting, working, and yielding to his gardening hands, his being God. So this connectedness to God through spiritual disciplines helps yield fruit and how believers continue to become like Christ. And so the, the, the kind of the big idea for this entire series is this. The believer must plant themselves in consistent fellowship with God and they will bear the fruit of the Spirit. And there's the intro, and now we'll get into the sermon, okay? This is the context of where we are coming from and where we are launching from. So like I said, the spiritual discipline that we are going to teach through tonight is Sabbath and rest. So within, and like we said, our text is Matthew 11. We're going to read that in just a moment. Jaden's going to read that. But within the last section of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talks about how God the Father has revealed himself through Jesus. And in verses 25 through 27, Jesus thanks God the Father for revealing the truth to those who are searching and seeking for truth. And Jesus also talks about how the Father is revealed through him, and when we know him, we know the Father. And so within the Old Covenant, you knew God, the Jewish people knew God through the law of the Torah and through the teachings of the priests. And unfortunately, the priests and the teachers of the law, also known as scribes and, and Pharisees, um, they began to distort how God had set up the, the covenant between his chosen people and himself. And the people became burdened because of this distortion and extra rules applied to the law by those religious teachers. So within this context, Jesus gives a beautiful encouragement to his listeners. He speaks straight to their weariness of carrying this load of the law, and he gives them hope. So let's stand together as Jaden comes and reads Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Jaden. So uh, kind of the main thought and the big idea for this passage. If you were to read this passage a few different times, kind of pull out some main themes, I think this is kind of the idea that you would gather. Rest for your soul is found when you intentionally rest in Jesus. So this is what we're going to unpack today. How do you, what does rest for your soul 
And how do you intentionally rest in Jesus? Rest is one of those things that's really interesting. Um, We know that rest is really good for our body, right? We all know this. We would raise our hands if someone was like, is getting eight hours of sleep good for your body each night? And we'd raise your hand and we'd say, yes, yes it is. But the funny thing is, is we are totally okay with skipping it. Like we are fully okay with getting four hours, six hours, however many hours, you absurd amounts that you get at night. And we know the, there are, they're not just good. There are considerable benefits in getting eight hours of sleep every night. We read all of these scientific facts and, and the data, but our minds trick us into thinking that it doesn't matter and we don't need it. Um, so we stay up to obscene hours of the night. We play video games. We're scrolling Instagram and TikTok. Is Snapchat still a thing? Ish, okay, I'll, we'll throw it in there just, just because then. You're scrolling Instagram or TikTok or uh, Snapchat. Maybe you're chatting with your friends on Discord. Maybe you're watching YouTube or binging a Netflix show. And we wake up in the morning. We feel what? Not great. We feel exhausted. It's hard to wake up. But then, you know, we wake up and we're like, it's totally fine. Um, this is nothing that a big cup of coffee or a bang energy drink won't fix. You know, let's just pour that coffee or that bang energy into our cereal and let's just get going. Like, it's, it's fine. I don't need eight hours of sleep. But it's funny, by the end of the day, we've forgotten how tired we were in the morning. So what happens? We repeat the cycle each and every day. Does anyone relate to this? I do. I relate to this. I go to bed late and I wake up in the morning. I'm like, what did I do to myself? And then the night comes and I'm like, I have a lot of stuff that I want to do with myself. And I'm going to watch this. Megan and I are going to do this and it's going to be fantastic. And then we regret it in the morning. And something else that is at war with our rest is our constant and consistent need to be doing something. And not only that, it's the constant and consistent need to be doing something, but do it in a rush to get those things done. We are barraged with advertisements and products and plans to help us complete our, our tasks and our things as quickly as possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I am all for productivity. I am all for things to help me get things done in a reasonable amount of time, to do it swiftly and efficiently. But the question, but where the question question lies in whether or not our whole life should be consumed with speed. Most of these things, these things like our smartwatches and our phones and our technologies and all these different things, um, it feeds our consumeristic tendencies or our desire to do more or to have more. And these different sales and blowout sales and stores going out of business, they feed us and it feels like we're missing out. So we're like, yeah, that's such a good deal. I'm going to buy that because it's a good deal. Do you need it? No, but it's a really good deal. Like, what if I don't get it? Well, it's fine because you didn't need it. But we feel like, oh, my gosh, it's 70% off. Like, I have to have this. And this brings us directly to our spiritual discipline of rest and Sabbath. The Sabbath was one of the most important things to God and the Jewish people. 
God instituted the Sabbath at the beginning of creation. And in Genesis 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 2, God rests on the seventh day after six days of creation. Here's the thing. God wasn't tired from his, his work. God is omnipotent, meaning he is all-powerful. But instead, what he was doing was he was demonstrating what margin looks like, and he was showing humanity a proper rhythm of life. God was setting up a pattern of how to live and how to orient your life to give your soul life. In Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 15, God gave the Jewish people 10 commandments to live by to maintain a right relationship with him and with the people around them. And the fourth commandment was this, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, meaning keep it set apart. Six days you shall labor and, and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Jewish people were commanded by God to take a break from their work from one day each week. They were laboring in their work to maintain, or they were laboring in their actual work, but they were also laboring to maintain their right standing with God through rituals of confession, animal sacrifices, and their sin, and etc. And this bond or this yoke of the law was, was heavy. And Jesus uses the analogy of a yoke to illustrate what they were carrying as Jewish people. I have a picture of the yoke that Jesus was referencing. Uh, this yoke is a piece of equipment that, could, that would connect two oxen uh, to pull farming equipment. Uh, the yoke was also used to connect a weaker or younger oxen to a stronger, older oxen to evenly distribute the pulling weight and to train the more youthful and inexperienced animals. And so Jesus invites these Jewish people into a new way of living in unity with God, a way that gives rest to the soul. The way that God intended it to be. That's what God intended the law to be, was it was to bring rest for their souls. But we distorted the law. And so this is what Jesus was referencing in Matthew 5 when he said that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but he came to fulfill them through his life, through his death, and his resurrection. So Matthew eleven twenty eight. let's read it again. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? I will give you rest. And sometimes this idea of coming to Jesus for rest can be challenging for us to comprehend or really, to be honest with you, to even desire to take part in because our lives are programmed to not rest. We often use phrases like this, I'll rest when I'm dead. Sleep is for the weak. In a few months, it'll be fine. If I don't do this, I won't get ahead. The list could go on. Here's the thing, though. Deep down, our bodies were created for rest. We long for vacation. We long for re relaxation. And we long for a day to do nothing. 
Do you have a place, you personally, do you have a place that you go when you're feeling overwhelmed and burdened? Is there an activity that you enjoy that causes you to take a deep breath and to relax? Maybe it's a specific friend's house that you go to, and when you go there, it just feels like there's a weight lifted off of you. You feel relaxed and calm. Maybe for you, it's playing a sport or drawing, reading, going for a walk or going for a run. But I want you to think about that place or the thing that brings you rest or calms you down. And the thing is, these things are extremely important, but rest for your soul has to go actually deeper than this. Rest for your soul has to go deeper than a friend's house, has to go deeper than um, a, a specific sport or drawing. But what Jesus invites his listeners to, and for us tonight, is to, is to a place where we don't only find rest for our body, but like we've said multiple times, more importantly, we find rest for our soul. This soul rest doesn't just come from taking a day off, going to a friend's house, reading a good book. It comes from living an intentional life of surrendering your worry, your burdens, and your stress to God. It comes from deliberate worship of God through your rest. And the burdens Jesus was referencing were not like literal physical burdens. Instead, the burdens that were weighing them down, it was a weight placed upon them to please God in a way that he never intended them to. And Jesus invites our souls to rest in the truth that God will come through on his promise. If you come to him and cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, and if you trust in me or him with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, I will give you rest for your soul. Often the pushback for weekly scheduled rest is, will I get everything done? I know the adults can resonate with this. If I rest, will everything get done? What's going to drop off if I rest. In his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says this about our productivity. He says, it has been, um, and you don't have that quote, I'm sorry, if you have the Version Bible app, you do have the quote. I was supposed to put the slide in ProPresenter and I forgot. It has been proven by study after study, there is zero correlation between hurry and productivity. In fact, once you work a certain number of hours in a week, your productivity plummets. Ironically, that number is 50 hours, about a six-day work week. One study found zero difference in productivity between workers who logged 70 hours and those who logged 55. And he finishes with this. Could God be speaking to us even through our bodies? With that said, will we trust God with our Sabbath? Will we trust God with our rest? And I'm asking this question, not just for you guys, but for me as well. Writing sermons oftentimes is extremely convicting because you're communicating something that's convicting you as an individual. This sermon is very much convicting me in my rhythms of life because I have a hard time resting. I have a hard time slowing down and doing what is meaningful sometimes. I'm getting better at it, but here's the thing. It's still a huge struggle. And with the current stage of life with three little kids, Sabbath looks a little wonky for us. I do have three kids. I do not have four. Thank God. 
If you have four, that's totally fine, but I do not wish that upon myself. <laughs> so here's the question. Often, a lot of us have really chaotic schedules and really chaotic lives, and the question is, um, how do I find intentional rest in my chaotic life so my soul can be filled? It's a fantastic question if you're asking that. So how do I begin a rhythm of Sabbath and rest? Here's where we kind of get to the, the practical end of this. So I want you to pick one day as close um, Pick one day or as close to a full day as you can each week and make it as consistent as possible. Schedule things that, that bring you joy, that deepen your relationships, that bring laughter, where you share a meal with someone, where you study God's word, where you pray, where you sing, where you dance or you exercise. But here's, the, here's the, a differentiating like a caveat. The Sabbath and times of rest are not times of laziness. There is a huge difference between rest and laziness. Um, Mark uh, Bellinger, I don't know. Um, The difference, I didn't practice his last name. I don't know what it is. Uh, The difference between laziness and restfulness is that laziness terminates on itself. Let's catch this. The lazy man seeks to rest as an end goal in itself. Biblical rest is not done to idolize personal relaxation, but to relax so one will be better equipped to work for God. This does not mean that you you binge Netflix all day. It doesn't mean that you play video games all day. This doesn't mean that you nap all day. Now, Sabbath can include those different things, but we have to be careful how we use those things. Your Sabbath is to prepare you for God's work in your schooling, in your family, and in your relationships, and with him. One mentor of mine filtered what he did on his Sabbath by putting things into categories. It's an alliteration. It starts with four R's. He, he did physical rest. So like getting a proper amount of sleep. So say you're, you're going to Sabbath on Friday or maybe Saturday morning. So maybe it's actually going to bed on Friday night before 2 a.m. Maybe it's going to bed at 11 a.m. 11, a.m., 11 p.m. And another thing that he does on his Sabbath that brings him rest is reading. Another one is relationship, his deepening his relationship with Jesus, with his family, or with lifelong friends. And the last one that he likes to kind of do or try to do on a Sabbath is recreation. Do what you love outside. Now, like I said earlier, I'm not perfect at any of these things, nor do I complete a Sabbath each and every week. But... I'm trying to make these things an intentional rhythm in my life because I see how God has instituted this as good and necessary for your soul. So I kind of left you with some practical things. What I want to do is I want to leave you with a big idea one more time, and then we are going to kind of dissect this topic and this text within our small groups with some different questions. I want to leave you with the big idea one more time. Rest for your soul is found when you intentionally rest in Jesus. So with that, let's go into our small groups to discuss this topic. Um, uh, uh, Boys are in the back of the room. Girls are in the front. High school is on this side of the room. Middle school is on this side of the room. And your small group leader will dismiss you when you are done.